Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, fresh-faced and back from America, uh, special effects artist and podcast man. And I am joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst, and I have one half of my brain in the UK and I have one half of my brain in the US at the moment, uh, for reasons I will go into. But before I do that, we should talk about Fright Fest. We should. Because this is our first episode that we've recorded since doing the live event event believe it or not we're now in october despite and the... we did that in august yeah um, you have heard a podcast from us since then but this is have. the first one we've recorded since then exactly so I, I guess we just wanted to open by talking a little bit about that and talking about how much we enjoyed the live episode it was and amazing yeah thank you to everybody who came i was listening to it again on the drive back from work today. Oh, nice. It's, yeah, it was really nice. It was it was lovely. The, the turnout was lovely. The guests were incredible. It, the Yeah, thank you to Fright First for letting us do it. Thank you for Arrow for letting us break format. It was really good. Yeah, it was, was so great. much fun. Amazing guests. Loved the interviews. And it was just so lovely to see our uh, our Arrowheads, our dear sweet <laughs> listeners. Have we done that? They haven't said that for a long time. We have haven't, we? no. Back, you know, back to the old school. Retro. But thanks again to everybody and this week, we are going to be talking about Hellraiser 3. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it, but then I saw that you wanted to say it. Oh, no, it, I just, so I thought, it just yeah. It went it just, a bit yeah, awkward. Whatever, but um, yeah, we're doing Hellraiser 3 this week um, to complete our, our trilogy. Uh, you can go back and listen to our Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2 podcast, should you so wish. But this one's going to be a bit different because. Why is it going to be different, Dan? I don't know. We're both drunk. Well, we're not. We're not. We're not. I, I, we're, I wish. I wish. We're, no, we're um, 100% not. <laughs> um, why is it different? Is it because it's the first one we both saw? Yeah, it is. Yeah, why not? Let's go with that. What were you going to say? That. Yeah, let's was, say was that. that. No, I feel like you had something else. <laughs> I was hoping you'd have something. Oh, right. And you did. just winging it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because it's the first one that wasn't shot in England? There we go. And, and that is true, yes. Uh, yeah. And it was also the one that they wanted to... Uh, turn into a, a bit of a blockbuster they wanted yeah. it to have it was mainstream the first film by dimension wasn't it success yes it was indeed which you know is quite interesting uh there's some yeah. interesting stuff on the extras about that but um why don't we why don't you sum up the plot Dan? <laughs> oh my goodness so you know how you like pinhead yeah and you know how you felt that pin uh, that hellraiser 2 hellbound uh focused on the wrong baddie Oh, correct, yeah. And that Pinhead was too long out of the spotlight and that the time Pinhead did get in the spotlight wasn't the best. Correct. Because they, they got him wrong. They got him wrong. What if I could offer you, Sam? Yes. I've got such sequels to show you. I mean, <laughs> before you start, can I just say that I really love Freddy Krueger? Okay. Is that... Is that I don't. Does why, that help? Why does that? I don't understand. Oh, because because they've gone in that direction with it. Correct. It's quippy bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> thing is i i loved this film when i saw it because it was the first hellraiser i'd seen and like someone who doesn't know the taste of freedom <laughs> i didn't know what i was missing out on and i wasn't aware of how wrong they were getting hellraiser when i first watched it i still i still have a certain amount of nostalgia for it and what 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 amused me was i put it on put the, when i put the disc on to watch it um, and it was doing the, uh, had the Hellraiser music over the top, well, Hellraiser 3 music over the top of just, you know, bits from the film. 
And as the characters from the film, you know, m- mutely mouthed their lines with just the music playing, I knew what they were saying in every single one of those exactly. shots. Exactly. It is one of those films. Um, we had a very similar I experience. I watched it a lot. Yeah, we had a similar experience where it is one. Um, now, I don't know how it works in uh, in in America, which we've uh, mentioned a couple of times today. But in the UK, um, back in the, the olden VHS times, when you rented a video from the video shop, if it was a new one, you'd get it for a night. Um, and if it was an old one, you'd get it for a week. Uh, and so what frequently happened, because we didn't have the internet in, in those times and only a few channels, we would just watch that film as many times as we could in the week we had it. This was, what, 92 this came out? Yeah, so, so early had, 90s. We had Sean on 4 by then. Yes. But, yeah. I mean, wow. Dan the Four Pedant. Channels. If you're a Cenobite, you're... That's not a lot. My special... Well, okay, so hey, let's, let's bronze straight into this. If I was a Cenobite... <laughs> In the first two films, who knows what my special powers would be because they weren't really on the fucking nose. <laughs> but if I was in the third one, it would definitely be pedantry. They're not all on the nose. Some of them are in the head. Some of them are in the throat. Whack, whack. <laughs> but look, I like all those dudes. And I know that um, they were uh, at the behest of the studio, um, like the, the the CD guy. and um... Is that... so? I I listened to uh, one of the two audio commentaries on the disc. Uh-huh. Uh, the one I, just with the director? No, no, director and Bradley. Oh, okay. I watched, because it was a over-the-unrated version and I wanted to hear them talking yeah, about yeah, that course, kind of stuff. Yeah, of course, yeah. That's, that's um, a good, yeah. And then I also, well, I watched some interviews and I watched the effects B-reels. Right. So I didn't see every single interview and I didn't see the old TV stills, TV spots. Um, but I saw a decent amount and I didn't hear anyone say explicitly that they were definitely because of the studio. I'm, well, not, I'm not saying you're wrong. No, I'm I know you're not I because I'm, I'm I, not. <laughs> I'm, just saying, I'm just saying I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So I did you watch the... I can't remember where it was. Did they hand them but down? Was it in the 30-minute making of or was it... Um, it might have been in the interview with um, Anthony Hickox. Uh, I saw the... Hickox, so I think I must have been. I didn't see the the thirty minute making of, so that's 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 where it'll be. Yeah, it, so did they like literally give them drawings and say these are the guys you need, or did they? Was it looser? Were they like we want a CD guy? It was we just want a fat it was bartender. Just, no, it's just a throwaway um, comment by I can't even remember who by, but but basically someone said that they only named those two. I think it might be the writer um, Peter what? Atkins who mentioned it, but anyway, they who, only mentioned. Who plays um, Barbie? That, exactly. So they only mentioned uh, CD head and camera head as being sort of oh, okay. additions at the studio's behest. But that kind of makes sense because the club scene was a reshoot and um, yeah, the big, it was all the sort of in the script, but then yeah, they didn't yeah. shoot it because they didn't have any money. That's it. And it did originally just go from uh, some some chains flying about and then cut to the doors and blood coming out underneath. Yeah. And then. Uh, and then they went back and they shot all those effects. That's it, yeah. So so basically, um, I think it was Bob Weinstein, Weinstein yes. who said that, you know, if if I gave you more money, what would you want to do with yeah. it? Yeah, um, he was definitely the handler on it because they mentioned on the... Did you listen to the, the, the audio commentary with the two I, of them? I did, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. They right. mentioned that he was the one cr- shoehorning naked dancers into the background as well. Yeah. So he obviously yeah. had his opinion of what would sell. Yeah. So if he's going, the kids like CDs. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean... Put I, CDs I, in it. I know I did. You like CDs in yeah, it? Yeah, I bloody love CDs. 92, wasn't that like... The, I think that was the year of the CD for me. <laughs> um, the Chinese Prodigy year, album. Chinese year of the CD. Music for the Jilted Generation. I believe that was the first CD I ever bought, and I believe it was out around about that time. So, nice. uh, you know, they had their fingers on the pulse. <laughs> <laughs> and I love bloody love cameras. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And uh, and cocktails and barbed wire and fat men. Yeah, I mean, all the best things, all the best <laughs> things. So, yeah, we didn't even get close to describing what the plot of the okay, film Okay, so was. here's the plot. Uh, at the end of number two, Pinhead is sort of released after we find out about the fact that he's essentially a tortured soul. Uh, also the name of a line of toys that um, Clive Barker released. And then a sort of wooden pillar with some faces nailed to it turns up behind a desk. Flash forward to uh, New York in 92 after a few non-starts on other scripts for number three and uh, a mean bad boy uh, who owns a club and also uh, collects some art uh, is sold a, uh, a sort of evolved version of the, of the pillar uh, by a tramp. Um, who's also the producer he's also the producer yeah like every member of the crew is on camera because it's cheaper than hiring extras yeah so they uh yeah so he um he buys this statue off a tramp uh and then when because his apartment is sort of above the club called the boiler room and some trespasser ends up in his room and takes a fancy to the uh, takes a shine to the lament configuration the, the horrors of puzzle box which is sort of sticking out of the pillar and steals it um, and then we don't really see what happens to him, but he turns up in hospital with a bad case of chains in the face and exploded head disease. I bloody love that scene. <laughs> I do. I really like the, those shots of the bloody chains dragging along the floor. And, That's very, very cool. Yeah. And, um, and then, in the commentary, they mentioned that that had a Jacob's Ladder influence, that sequence. Okay, so let's... That's John, one of my favourite bits of, of the commentary, actually, because not only do they talk about the influence, they point out the fact that um, the hospital was missing a roof. And it kind of reminded me of the Evil Dead 2 commentary, which, or one of the fucking one millions. millions of Evil Dead 2 commentaries. But, but one of them, basically, you should, if you ever want to just enjoy Evil Dead 2 as a straight experience, you should never listen to any of the commentaries because yeah. there is one that points out every single mistake. And once you see it, you can never unsee it. So I won't go into details about, about how these, these connect, but you can probably work it out for yourself. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, so uh, so was that was the hospital a build then? Yeah. Oh, hmm. Was that in was that in the, the commentary with both of them? It was. I missed that. <laughs> Dan um, was I remember them talking about I remember them talking about the church disappearing off the sides. And and I and this is a testament to good effects, because a lot of the digital effects in this film are pretty lousy with hindsight. I mean, come but, on, for the time. Yeah, for the, I mean they go on about the morphing effects because it just been it was, in it was Pretty newish. Yeah, yeah. it just been in um, Michael Jackson's uh, black or black white, or white yeah. video, and so that was another, you know, one of these exciting things that the kids are into that they shoved into this film. Yeah. So again, slightly last minute, but but yeah, no, like the practical effects in this. Are the practical superb. effects are pretty good, and and um, the the matte paintings and stuff. It's well, it was the, it was the matte painting in the church that right. impressed me because they yeah. didn't build the sides of the church; they just built the aisle and the altar, exactly, and then all yeah. the pillars down either side were painted. In. Yeah, it's and incredible. I'd never noticed that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are bits, and where that's a cool scene. The, I like that scene. Yeah, it's a very cool scene. It's yeah, that's probably the coolest scene. Yeah, <laughs> in the in the film. 
But yeah, so you talked about the Jacob's Ladder influence on uh, on the hallway. Uh-huh. And I think that to some extent, and I hadn't realized that this was the problem I have with it nowadays or one of the problems I have with it nowadays until I watched it with a commentary. But there are so many things where the director's like, that's a reference to this, that's a reference to this, that's a reference to this, that I feel like whatever style he wanted to inflict upon this movie was kind of muddied by the fact that it was constantly being paused so that he could shoehorn in no, like a look come like on. This. so for example That's unfair. the Suspiria shot in, the, in you... the courtyard is lovely yeah. and adds to the film yeah, it does, but yeah. the Jack Nicholson look that JP or whatever his name is yeah. gives when he comes around the thing and does his like, low brow glower is dumb as shit and took me out of the scene and it did when I was a kid as well but I didn't know that that was why he was doing it now, and then like, well, that's I, a Jack Nicholson reference um, yes but the, in the commentary the director doesn't say that's a Jack Nicholson reference from me um, it could be that the actor wanted to do that or whatever yeah but he and, is saying and a lot of other things are references the, the other thing I'll say there is as a fellow <laughs> Brian De Palma fan and you know at least De Palma's only stealing from one plate. <laughs> well, it's, I, again, I, I would, I would, yeah, well, yeah, majoritively. Anyway. I, I would quibble there, but um, yeah, no, I, I, you know, it, it, that stuff never bothers me. They literally, I, I love, I love the director. No, maybe it's Doug. Literally calls it the Kill Bill of Horror when they're talking about how many films it references. Yeah, well, yeah. Is is it that or is it the foot fetish thing? I don't know. Oh my know. God, the foot fetish thing is gross. <laughs> I is that true though? I don't know. If, I think it's just a running joke in the in the audio commentary. I don't know. I, yeah, the bit where they just stop to listen to a scene because the director's accusing Doug Bradley of having farted during the scene. It <laughs> and is it being a... left, on the audio comment, <laughs> left on the audio track. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of weird stuff. You can literally hear them smoking cigarettes, which is something... There's a really Really, really loud pouring of a drink yeah, at one a, point. Yeah, a can of Coke. They yeah. say a can of Coke. Yeah. Well, no, it is definitely a can of is Coke. Is it definitely a can of Coke or is it definitely a beer? <laughs> no, beer doesn't fizz in the same way as Coke. I, I recognise okay. that fizz. Okay, and, then um, they, and when they pause it to go to the loo and come back and joke about having had a lot of vodka <laughs> and then quickly say, oh, no, well, I mean, that was a joke. We didn't, um, didn't have a lot of vodka. <laughs> I believe them and I believe that the can of Coke that was opened was poured onto some vodka. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've never had vodka and beer in the same glass. Um, no, fair enough. Yeah, maybe, maybe it was. Maybe it was vodka and Coke. Yeah. Oh, no, they're both English. Never mind. <laughs> So, what else do I want to say about this film? Ah, I love Paula Marshall. I loved her when I very first saw this film. I think she's still incredible now. And I think, you know, some of the insight you get from her on this disc is very interesting. It's disappointing that she's a bit of a snob against horror. <laughs> um, like she says, oh, you know, I enjoyed it even though it was a horror. And um, there's a sort of anecdote about when she bumped into John Cusack at a Springsteen gig and she was surprised that um, he would ever watch a horror film and, what? you know, apparently he wandered into the wrong screen anywhere. Yeah. Oh, I'd hate all that shit. Like, horror is as great as, you know, the, I'd rather watch the trashiest horror than, you know, the most... Oh, no, I won't say that because that's not true. <laughs> but um, I love trashy horror, let's say that. And... Yeah, it's really interesting that it was her first ever role. I feel like she is incredibly naturalistic in the film, and I believe her. And to hear about how much she cared about stuff like continuity, and you know, to hear that she w didn't want help crying in the scene where she really cries, she wanted it to come from, you know, her own her own feelings. Like 
yeah, I, it sort of added a, a level of appreciation to a performance that I've always loved. So that's good. That's good to be on this disc. Good. Yeah. Should we wrap up? No, should we finish the plot? <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. And then a soldier comes. So along. the director. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so a pinhead stuck in a statue. Yes. Which I thought was pretty cool. And he has to use his charm and his sort of like Cenobite version of a vampire's glamour to dig into people's wants and discomforts and dissatisfactions and offer them this sort of Faustian deal uh, to bring him blood or people full of blood. Yeah. Which was, which is one of my favourite things about the film because I think that the thing that stands uh, Pinhead out, uh, when he's at his best, the thing that stands Pinhead out is his how erudite he is. Um, Bradley has a, a lovely... Bradley has a lovely voice. <laughs> Bradley has a lovely command yeah. when he's, when he's uh, uh, doing a monologue, um, giving a speech. And he is, like, that is definitely the best thing about this. This is the one where Pinhead's kind of front and centre. Mm. Um, and the bits where he's in the statue as slightly sort of off-pieced for what I want from Pinhead, as that is, it's really good to see him have to use like his persuasion yeah. because that's always been like a cool thing about him, and his cool voice is his big thing. Yeah, because his cool voice and his pointy face is is his is his big thing. Yes, I was slightly less keen on this kind of like him wanting to not have to go back to hell. Right, <laughs> like that's not what I think of as Pinhead. Pinhead revels in the suffering. And especially given that we've gone, oh, well, we've divorced Captain What's-His-Chops from Pinhead. So Pinhead's the pure evil. And then you've got the soldier who became Pinhead from, you know, whatever messed up shit he did in his life has been now trapped in the dream realm. So Pinhead, as we see him now, is this pure evil. He's stuck in a statue. So why does the pure evil want to leave hell? Surely that's his playground. Um, Now, I feel like you are bringing... you saw this film first, so you can't say that... No, you're, you're completely right. And that's what, exactly what I'm saying, is that like I enjoyed it so much because I didn't know how wrong it was getting it. Right. And, and I guess another level of wrongness about this film um, is that, as, as the director himself says, it breaks a cardinal rule of the franchise, which is to bring God into it, whereas, obviously, you know, in the first two... God sort of is, doesn't exist, separately. basically. Yeah. God is dead. God, you know, there is only hell, basically. Um, well, I kind of, like, I don't think that's so bad in this one because it's, you don't see God doing anything. You just acknowledge the presence of the church. Yeah. And, and like, I'm happy to trade off not mentioning God for a version of the world where God was is still believed in by rubes on earth yeah yeah but actually the, the you know the leviathan hell is the only real other yeah uh, you know and then also yeah the i agree I, I and think, then as long yeah. as we get a lot of blasphemy <laughs> and, and you get it like Which it we is, really do yeah the bit where pinhead mimics christ is probably one of my all-time favorite single images of the entirety of, of Hellraiser. I'd, 
a pip the feeding of his own flesh to to the priest, yeah. which happens in the same scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slightly above the 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 stigma, the self inflicted stigmata. But and, it's and, all good. And the melting That's cross so as well. Yeah. And there is some great individual shots in this. Like um, there's a, a lovely shot of Joey through the skull of. Um, one of Camerahead's victims. <laughs> Camerahead's only victim. I, I, is, is that right? Yeah, each one, each Cenobite exists only to do one themed kill. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I, I love that shit. But yeah, no, I, I you know, I, I think this is a, 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 I prefer this to two still, um, personally. I, I, I think I probably don't. I think I prefer two. I think two gets it slightly more. And, and watching it again, and we watched it not that long ago together, when this we watched the un, the unrated version, yeah, like out. a couple of years ago. Yeah, was that when this box set came, first came out? Was that when we watched it? Yeah, so. it must have oh, been. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I watching it this time, I I was able to sort of really see why Clive was like, "Well, no, you got it wrong. I don't want any. This isn't this isn't me now." Well, he doesn't like he he ended up being involved in it slightly. Yeah. So basically, on. they they paid him to not be involved. So that you know they they wouldn't have his name on it, um, and and he was happy to be involved at that stage. But obviously he was happy to take the money. Then they realised, oh oh no, yeah, <laughs> maybe we actually He's do important. need him after all. Um, and they paid him to come back on board. Yeah, and so he did. Um, I I think his level of involvement was the reshoot stuff I believe I'm not 100% sure but he was involved basically and, and yeah. now it's but Clive very Barker's. very peripherally but was he were they ever going to actually leave his name off it or was yeah. it just that he they were paying him to be allowed to do it without him having any say they were the, his name was going to be off genuinely going to take his name off yeah, it yeah, yeah. that must have been a hell of a paycheck yeah exactly yeah and, so and just, probably so a presumably love, another that's nice why one. he doesn't have the rights anymore it's because that deal is what took him because you don't take someone's name off it and they still own it. They, no. they, that means they bought it outright. Like they bought the intellectual property completely. Exactly. Which is like a crazy buy. Yeah. And he's very dismissive about all of them, including three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I absolutely love Clive Barker. Um, like he is one of the all-time greats. He is like. I don't know. I uh, I worship Clive Barker, but um, I like Hellraiser three. I know I'm in a massive minority. I don't, I'm the not sure you are. I am. Right. No, no. The majority of the fans really, and, and they talk a bit about this on the documentary. In fact, the documentary. It's a shame you didn't watch it because a because it's kind of a fascinating extra on this disc in that you know the people who are most positive about it are saying things like. Oh, I met my wife on the set, so I can't hate it too much. And, <laughs> you know, I got yeah. to be a Cenobite and all the rest of it. I definitely will be watching it. I just yeah, oh no, I'm not, that's not a criticism uh, of you as a, as a as a complete person. It's more of a I wish you'd watched it for the discussion because it is interesting that it's it is a relatively it's as negative as these kind of things get. Basically, where they're including interviews from people, and I and I think it even ends on someone saying that it's not very good. Um, <laughs> And it's a weird documentary anyway because, like, it's got crazy music. Like, the music is so high in the mix. Who made the so, documentary? You know? It's part of that big, you know... the. Oh, it's part of Leviathan, yeah, is it? Yeah, it's part of Leviathan. So, um, yeah, it's fucking weird. But it's definitely worth watching. There's some lovely anecdotes. Yeah, no, it. I've, it's, it's, I, I definitely will. Especially from uh, Camerahead. Uh, I liked him a lot. But... Um, Hulk Hogan. Shall we... <laughs> <laughs> shall we wrap up... 
Uh, move yeah, on to recommendations. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah, no, let's very briefly talk about the last scene. I know we've touched on this in other episodes. I think probably when we were talking about two. Yes. But the, the building, when she puts the, uh, the Lebanon configuration in the concrete mm-hmm. in the end, and then we see the Le Machard, Le Bouchard, Le Machard, I can never remember, mm-hmm. designed building at the beginning. Mm-hmm. At the end, rather, which will then end up being the beginning of four. Yeah. But then they kind of like find a way to wreck on it out and say, eh, it's coincidence. <laughs> nothing, nothing to do with it. It was Machard, Bouchard, Le Machard's, uh, like grandson designed the building and it has nothing mm-hmm. to do with this, the box being in the in the foundations. I, it occurred to me that at this period in horror franchise, because franchises were still like semi-new mm-hmm. as a concept and everyone was like, oh, well, we've got to do one of them. That's how you make the money. Um, I mean, they weren't that new. They weren't that new. Like, they've been around, but like, this was, so this was three. Where was Nightmare and Halloween by the And early Friday 90s? the 13th. And Friday the 13th. Yeah, I guess Friday the 13th was kind of rocking away through the 80s, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm trying to, yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. But anyway, like, w- one of the, like, when they try and do continuous narratives, uh, rather than just abandoning the numbers and having standalone films, which is what they did from Powers of Five onwards. Mm. Like, the writer would just kind of, like, put a thing at the end, because it's a complete story. It finishes. And then there's this little thing that goes, there's going to be another one. <laughs> Pinhead will return. Mm-hmm. Um, so they... But it's like... In uh, space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, But it's like one of those games of... Uh, like, the pictorial games of consequences, where you draw the head, mm-hmm. but then you just leave the lines of the neck showing over the fold. And the next person doesn't know what came before, but they've got to draw the upper body. But they know where the neck is, so they can follow it. And so the building in the the the, the main configuration building is those two little lines from the previous section of the body. True. And they're just throwing them out. And I think that the the pillar at the end of number two was kind of that for number three. Yeah. And with number three, they went, yeah, fuck, yeah, let's do a pillar. Let's put Pinhead in the pillar. Right, this is brilliant. Let's do this. And I wish they'd done more of that with four because those like I like the pillar. And I like the <laughs> I like the building. It's interesting, and and you know that that building uh, did inspire more stuff in the comics around. Yeah, this those time. are great. And and actually, there's kind of an interesting history, like you mentioned, the Nightmare on Elm Street. Around this time in the early '90s, there was a, a Nightmare on Elm Street comic as well, similar to the Hellraiser one, where it was kind of different stories, and um, it was one of the few that was like turned into a UK comic and so it was sold in news agents in, in this country and I but the, the same stuff they weren't doing unique content no, yeah no so, okay, but, yeah, but yeah. basically rebranded yeah. and, and I think in a slightly bigger format like English a more, comic a more, format yeah, yeah, yeah like exactly. size more magazine size and I'll never forget I, I was very young but I remember getting the one of the Nightmare on Elm Street comics and um Basically, similar to Hellraiser, where there's kind of a throwaway thing that they kind of build into a whole other thing in the comics. With The Nightmare on Elm Street, that line where he's the bastard son of 10,000 maniacs, or what is it, 1,000? Well, it's, 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 it's a thousand maniacs, but was it... So at one point, it was a thousand rapists, and then they changed it to a thousand maniacs to kind of deal with the out, outcry. So... Oh, is this where you're going? In this comic... <laughs> okay. Right, <laughs> it told the story of oh of, of, of that of Freddie's mum. Yeah, so the, the, basically the she yeah she she basically gets locked in this huge room. Oh my goodness! Of, yeah, so it's one of the most disturbing things I've ever read, and it stayed with me long after. And Jesus, so that sounds more like a fucking 
Yeah, and and Hellraiser was this, was similar in that um, the Hellraiser uh, comics were amazing. They were incredible, uh, incredibly dark, incredibly disturbing, and very artful. Now we're talking about the sort of nineties comics, yeah. not the yeah, no. m- more recent ones. I remember my mother throwing away my tapping the vein comics because they were horrible. Yeah, when I was young, Clive's other. Uh, I think that might have been around. Bef- was that before the Hellraiser comics happened? Tapping I the vein because they were so. that's that was I remember the, the some of the book some of the stories from Book of Blood, came into um, yes yeah came into tapping the vein but then there were some unique things as well yeah yeah and they were just I love those there's a recommendation for you the books of blood if you haven't the, read the those book. yeah 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 not, if you haven't not the film so much but if if you haven't read those then um, holy oh they're shit. a treat there's some great stuff in there yeah so good right shall in that spirit shall we move on yeah to let's move on to recommendations. Uh, who's going to go first? I'll go first. Yeah, Why go not? So my first recommendation is a little movie I like to call Wishmaster. <laughs> now, uh, if you're looking for something in this kind of similar vein, uh, Wishmaster uh, was written by the same guy who did Hellraiser 3. It has a similar tone um, in that, you know... <laughs> It goes absolutely bonkers. Um, and actually, both of my recommendations uh, of Hellraiser 3 are going to be 90s horror movies because Good. 90s horror, poor, poor 90s horror. Um, people hate 90s horror. They, I know people who think it's the worst decade for horror. But oh, a, I saw someone on there's Facebook a, the other day saying Atheist was the worst decade for horror. Worst? Yeah. Who said that? Yeah, in the, uh, in the um, Evolution of Horror forums on Facebook. Right, well, then yeah. they may well be listening to this right now, so I'm not going <laughs> to go in too hard on them because, you know, I do like the evolution of horror peeps and that's a very good may podcast. Been, may have been Twitter, but yeah, either way. Very good podcast. If you haven't listened to that, check that out, though. If you listen to this, I'm sure you've listened to that, but if you haven't, give it a listen. You will not find uh, the evolution of horror talking kindly about Wishmaster. I don't think we'll ever get a 93-minute episode about the ins and outs of, of Wishmaster, but I love it. It's um, fun. It's stupid. Mike, if you're listening, and uh, Dan and I have watched this uh, series together. Uh, maybe you can get Sam and I in together to talk about the entire Wishmaster franchise when you do, for example, a series on franchise horror. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> we... Or, or bad horror. <laughs> hey, whoa, whoa, whoa! Back down, son. <laughs> do, you Wish... know, do you know what no, my first recommendation is, Sam? And uh, why I... I was? Oh, sorry, you got more to say, more to say on Wishmaster? No, no, no. We can okay. move on. But uh, before this yeah. episode ends, yes. I would like to hear an impression of Pinhead. Okay. And I would like to hear an impression of the Wishmaster <laughs> from Dan, because those are two of his special powers. So whenever you feel like it. Oh, I genuinely thought, I, I genuinely wondered if you were going to ask me that. And I thought about practicing, and then I thought <laughs> that that would make me an absolute prick. Well, no, come on. It's, it's your craft. You've got um, to be prepared. So. The reason I was laughing so hard when you were recommending Wishmaster was not because I didn't agree with you, mm. but it's because my first recommendation... Yeah! I just now showed you're... Sam my notes. <laughs> is Wishmaster 2. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> now, I, I thought about Wishmaster, but the reason I plumped for Wishmaster 2, which I... I I think I might prefer. It's definitely a too. worse film. <laughs> I went for Wishmaster because it's, it's the same writer. Yeah, but I was I was torn. Yeah, and I went for Wishmaster too because of the casino scene. Oh, correct. Which is very much their version <laughs> of the club scene. Correct. From Arrows of Three. It's almost Except as though possibly more. 
like just shoehorned in nonsense. Absolutely insane. It's almost as if they went, "Oh shit, we haven't gotten the writer back." Like he's 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 only characters by on Wishmaster Two. Let's look at his oeuvre yeah. and see what we can steal. <laughs> we can. Hmm. We can't <clears throat> put pool balls in someone's mouth, but we did have a gambling death in uh, in the background of Hellraiser Three. Don't know why they didn't turn him into a centipede. We could probably get away with nicking that. It's it's amazing. <laughs> the, uh, he's got the, dice in his eyes, hasn't he? In Hellraiser Three, the guy. And then, uh, and then you've got the roulette wheel with blades coming out of it, zipping about. In oh, for, for literally no reason. It's such a dumb film. Yeah, it's but a it's a very good fun drink with your friends movie. Yeah. Party film. Yeah, Party it really film. is. Right, I feel that that's all Dan has to say about that. Yeah, that's pretty much all I've got. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to move on to my second recommendation, which is Maniac Cop Two nice. from 1990. Talking of the twos. The, the good fellas of uh, of the decade of horror that was the 1990s. Now, Maniac Cop Two, what this shares with Hellraiser Three is that they've basically decided to turn up all the levels to bonkers. Maniac Cop, it's almost a thriller really with kind of supernatural elements whereas maniac cop 2 is like this massive trash fest that oh more trash than trash yeah it almost feels like a korean film in the way that it just (laughs) you never know what's going to happen next and all of a sudden they introduce like this absolutely insane serial killer character um who becomes friends with the maniac cop um i won't go too far into it because let's face it not very many people have watched this film i would dearly love arrow to uh to do a maniac cop 2 release they did do it's, maniac cop they did do so, maniac cop so yeah, but, but not maniac cop 2 maybe they could do a, a box set like the scarlet oh, box set <laughs> don't taunt me where they just needlessly add a couple of terrible sequels but yeah, man, there's something there's something very special at the heart of Maniac Cop Two. Like it's just it's, and it's black. It's, it's rotten. It's rotten. It's black, and it's just pure trash fun. So um, yeah, many... if if you can stand Hellraiser Three, then I suspect you'll also <laughs> be able to uh, enjoy Maniac Cop Two uh, with all of its nonsense and chainsaws and serial killers and all the rest of it. You want to hear my second and final recommendation based on Hellraiser 3? Yes, please. Maniac Cop 3? Uh, yeah. No, it's another film with a man with a camera for a head. Ooh. It, well, actually, technically, it's a series of short films that the director made that were then sort of, like, packaged together. Right. The films are called Captain X, mm-hmm. uh, and they are short films by a director I think we've mentioned before on this podcast, uh, Jan Kunen. French director, mm-hmm. uh, and they're a series of extended POV single takes, and you realise during the first or second one, uh, maybe at the end of the first one, I can't remember, that the, the the reason for the extended single POV is that the main character has a camera for a for a face, right, and it's pretty cool. <laughs> there we go. Is that a big reveal that that's been? No, not really. Like, it, it's a big reveal if you were just watching the first one. Right. It's not a big reveal if you're watching all of them. But the other thing is that I don't think you can just get uh, Captain X. I think you have to buy either the French collection of Jan Kunin's shorts, which is very worth getting. Also has Giselle Carazen, uh, Last Red Riding Hood, uh, the Emmanuel Bear, and um, oh, what's Jean-Pierre Genet's production partner called? The old one, Caro. Uh, Mark Caro uh, playing the wolf in a musical Red Riding Hood, which is incredible. Mm. Uh, Vibro Boy um, about a uh, a transvestite in a French trailer park who accidentally gets hold of Satan's fossilized penis. 
uh, and it turns into a sort of weird, like, fucked up, multicolor trans Tetsuo. Mm, um, that sounds great. Yeah, the the whole collection's great. They came out on in France. There's a laser disc. There's they're also all packaged as special features on the French edition of Doberman, mm-hmm. Jan Kunan's debut. Um, and I think there's another version of them as well, but I'm not sure they're available outside of France. Cool. So yeah, there you go. Hunt them down. They're really worth checking out. They're great short films. Uh, Giselle Kerzin, uh, which is all stop motion with real people, mm. which is on broomsticks riding around chasing each other in Paris. Um, is on YouTube, certainly. Uh, I think Last Red Running Hood is, but without subtitles. I'm sure um, Captain X is. Vibra Boy probably is. Vibra Boy is the longest. I think it's about 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're all worth checking out. Sweet. But Captain X has camera head. So Nice. Good mm. recommendations all round, I'd say. Right, let's move on to films what we've have you watched seen, Sam? over the past couple of weeks. What have I seen? So... Uh, as part of my uh, very exciting Fright Fest, um, in which, you know, uh, Frankenstein's Creature went down very well, and thank you to everyone who came to that. I suspect um, there were a lot of Arrow video listeners in the audience because I didn't really recognise anyone, so I can only assume <laughs> that, um, that you, you came along. On thank the other you. Side of the headphones. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and as a result of that going down quite well, um, I am now in development on my next film with a producer named Heather Buckley, um, who was at Fright Fest with her film, The Ranger. Um, we met at the closing night party um, and we bonded over a shared history, let's say, and uh, we're working together to turn that into uh, an exciting feature film. Um, and so uh, I've written the script for Heather and... Um, she uh, she works with a, a, a director, uh, Corey Asrav, um, and once she read my script, she's like, have you seen this movie? I have not seen this movie. She's like, you have to watch it. I'll get Corey to send it to you. It was sent to me. That film is Let Me Make You a Martyr. Mm, and that's a good title. Holy shit, I loved it. Like, it is so up my street, it's ridiculous. It's essentially, imagine if Tarkovsky had directed True Detective, um, and that is essentially Let Me Make You a Martyr. I don't want to say too much about the plot, um, other than it's kind of about outlaw culture. Um, It's about people who are are struggling, um, uh, criminals who are struggling, um, and... You know, lots of interesting different characters kind of cross over, including performance by Marilyn Manson, who plays this kind of creepy, super creepy hitman. And yeah, it's a really kind of quite chilling performance. There's one scene in particular where it's like, oh my God, like there's a scene where uh, the atmosphere is very intense between Marilyn Manson and another character. Again, I won't go into spoilers. But yeah, let me make you a martyr. Um, you can get it on Amazon Prime in the UK, I believe. You can rent it there, and I'm sure it's available in the States. But oh, some of the shots in this film, man, it was like literally the wides are like paintings. You know, it's really beautiful and, and very moving. And so, yeah, um, and it kind of shares a very, very weird um, specific thing with my script. Um we kind of take different angles on the same idea, basically. So, um, you know, if you want to get in there and do very, 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 very early prep on uh, a film that I'm probably not going to make for another year or two, then uh, watch Let Me Make You a Martyr. And even if you have no interest in what I'm doing next, you should still watch it. It's great. Nice. 
There we go. Nice. My first film I'm recommending, it kind of comes off the back of something that Issa Lopez said to us at the live podcast. So we asked if she could recommend some Mexican horror. Yeah, yeah. That she that she thought maybe our English and, and sort of Ameri- English language uh, audience may not have come across. Uh, and she recommended a film called Poison for Fairies. Yeah. Poison for Fairies, which I've still not been able to track down right. um, with English subtitles. There is a non-subtitled DVD of it on eBay for right. like 50 quid. Right. Which I'm not going to get. Uh, so I'm trying to find, see if it came out on VHS somewhere mm. with subs. Uh, no luck so far. However, I have been digging into the director's other work. Mm. Um, I think I mentioned on uh, Twitter like a few days after the live podcast was recorded that I watched um, Even the Wind Was Afraid, which is great. Yes. that's. I feel is, like that's one I've recommended, but maybe not. Um, but I, yeah, it's, I also yeah, it's love a great, film. great film. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, um, the one I want to talk about now is uh, Blacker Than the Night. Uh, another great film. Yeah, yeah, yeah same yeah, director yeah. as Poison yes. for Fairies. Yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. Uh, Black of the Night. Uh, the director is Carlos Enrique uh, Taboada. I'm I, probably mispronouncing that. I, I know apologize. you're not going to go into it, but what a twist. Oh my goodness. Obviously, <laughs> I will not go into it. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. A young sort of socialite girl and her entourage, de facto they, inherit uh, quite a nice house um, from an aunt, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the condition being that they look after the aunt's much loved pet uh, cat, black cat who will live in the house with them uh, they move in shit gets weird <laughs> Oh yeah. I don't really want to say more than that um, track it down, it is very 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 good uh, it's got um, all of the It's. I mean it's it's not a giallo, certainly, but it's got a lot of that sort of giallo aesthetic. Definitely, I think that was they. It was borrowing. It, well, um, even the wind was afraid has quite a Barva feel to it. That first shot, the the very first shot, and even the wind was afraid is a close up on a sleeping girl's face, and then lightning goes off. And when the lightning goes, it casts a shadow that reveals a thing that's in the room behind the camera. Yeah, and it's such a beautiful shot. And the, uh, yeah, Black and the Night is also very, very Barbaresque. Uh, Poison for the Fairies, which I've not been able to track down, is from the 90s, so I'll be interested to see what the director did, uh, you know, how the director has moved into a completely new genre, talking about, uh, new, new era, mm. talking about 90s horror as a sort of separate beast entirely. Um, so if I do manage to track it down, I'll report back. But yeah, for now, check out Blacker Than the Night. Amazing. Um, so my next recommendation is... Uh, Again, kind of linked to the thing. This is going to happen for a bit because I'm in the sort of um, yeah, I, I'm I'm thinking about things basically. Um, thinking about things I'm I'm going to be doing, and so yeah, I, I'm watching some uh, revisiting a, a lot of stuff at the moment, and uh, one revisit is a film called Hardcore, um, nice. which is uh, an absolute masterpiece. It's uh, from Paul Schrader. Um, written by and directed by. So obviously everyone knows him as the writer of Taxi Driver, but obviously he's a fantastic director in his own right. Um, a really, really interesting, um, transcendent director. Um, Hardcore is probably the most like Taxi Driver of his uh, back catalogue. It's got kind of a very similar structure. Um, but, you know, and obviously... Taxi Driver is an utter masterpiece. Uh, I I love it so, so much. But I'd say that Hardcore is up there uh, with it. It's uh, 
kind of darker in a way, if you can believe that. Yep. And, you know, the protagonist is both easier to sympathize with and in a way not. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a kind of a tricky one, but... Yeah, it's very unpredictable, brilliantly performed. Um, everyone in it is is fantastic. The score, you know, the cinematography, it's just a masterpiece. And uh, there's an indicator Blu-ray, um, which is how I revisited it. And it was the first time watching it on Blu-ray. So that was quite exciting. You know, it's a, it's a lovely print. Um, and there's some really good extras on there as well from Indicator. So um, if you haven't seen Hardcore, and it is one of the underseen, you know, 70s movies, um, yeah, I just highly, highly recommend it. Yeah, it's one of those ones where everyone who's seen it is a massive, uh, like, sort of, oh, missionary for it. Like, yeah. Tell, will always recommend it. I don't think I've ever met anyone who's seen it and didn't like it. Um, but it is dark, it's very dark, and I think like Silent Partner, it maybe didn't find its audience post its initial release because it was it is just quite an uncomfortable watch. Yeah, that is, Silent Partner is an interesting comparison actually because um, they do both have like almost like it's almost like a sort of knock around thriller in certain places yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, but in other places it's darker than the most yeah. darkest horror film hard, imaginable hardcore wears its darkness a little more obviously on its it sleeve, does yeah yeah but silent partner does like both of them have this like other grim world view bleeding in at the edges yeah um and then every now and then it completely takes over yeah, it's it's really powerful and and yeah, really intense. But just yeah, I, I won't say any more because I don't want to say anything about the end. But um, yeah, hardcore from nineteen seventy nine. I think it, otherwise known as the hardcore life. But oh, okay. if if you're buying it in the UK, it's just under hardcore and it's on Indicator or on Blu Ray and. Very much recommend it. Yeah, really good. Right, extra features. Oh, no, I've got another bloody recommendation. So don't try and take that away from me, you <laughs> sneaky... I, I am trying to, I'm trying to wrap up, but yes, good. Oh, I, I, I really want your next recommendation. I'm sorry I, for being you so know, keen. It's because we've done it a wonky way. Normally you go first. Yeah, that's no, fine. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah, you finish up. Yeah. That's uh, fine. Mine is a... So I took a bunch of films with me to the States. Yes. Uh, Mostly, I was what, making everyone watch 70s British children's horror. <laughs> I was staying, uh, Travis Stevens, the director, and I uh, were staying in an apartment together with the uh, twins who uh, were the production designers on it. So it was sort of like a little party house. It was great fun. Um, actually, I should give a little nod to a feature they did that, that just got picked up called The Wind that played at um, Fantastic Fest. Oh, sweet. At Toronto as well. Cool. Uh, which did I've not seen it? yet. Nah. The trailer's beautiful. Cool. And they were very, they were giddy with excitement coming back from Toronto mid-shoot, having left for a, a whistle stop in much the way that I left for a whistle stop <laughs> for Fright Fest. Right. Um, but, but a week later. Yeah, so I took a bunch of films and this, a lot of the stuff that I watched on my own was Shaw Brothers Pictures um, as I'm working my way through those with my Z-Eagle under my arm. Mm. Um, uh, and I watched Twin Swords. I don't know quite why I chose to watch Twin Swords before its prequel. Right. Because <laughs> it is a sequel. Yeah. I, I th well, I know why. Because I didn't know it was a sequel. Right, there you go. Yeah. Um, so it's the sequel to Temple of the Red Lotus, which was the first Waxia like martial arts film that um, the, the Shaws did with Celestial Pictures. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, I was like, oh, Twin Swords, that's got swords in it. I'll watch that one. Yeah. So I and watched Twins? It. I'm and hanging is, out with Twins. It is a 
astonishingly confusing if you haven't seen the oh, first is it? film. Right, I normally but, find them quite standalone. Yeah, the absolutely. They, yep, normally. Right, okay. <laughs> but what I would do is, having now watched uh, Temple of the Red Lotus, which I also love, mm. um, but I would strongly recommend watching them out of order okay. because that level of what the fuckery okay. is absolutely delightful. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, if you like the traps from House of Traps... Then hold on to your seats because there are more traps than that in Twin Swords. Uh, and then on top of that, you've got. I think my favorite thing about it is every time anyone helps them, they just then kill them. Brilliant. <laughs> just it's like they threaten, they kill a bunch of people, they leave one person alive, they ask them the question, the person gives up the information because you know they want to save their own lives, and then they just fucking stab them anyway. Oh dear. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah, it's it's really really top top tier. Shaw Brothers. I was very pleased to find it and so what was it that you're working on with travis um so we were doing a film when i when we did the live record i described it as the girl in the third floor window and then i said but as with all these things the titles are subject to change the title has changed <laughs> uh it's called the girl on the third floor just right. because there's like a couple of big features coming out that are in production at the moment with window in the name yeah and, like and, witch in the window yeah and, well yeah exactly and i think there's a woman in the window is like is in right. production as well and just to avoid confusion so it's the girl on the third floor um it's loosely based around quote unquote well it's loosely based around supposed haunting that has happened in a house that has a real history that you know in the same way that a lot of places with real history then like you know a, a supernatural folk mythology comes up around them it, the interesting thing here is that queensbury pictures uh, and mpi sort of partner companies bought the house in which everything had happened yes and we shot it in that house now right <laughs> on the live episode yeah there is a moment where you're talking about this and how it's being filmed in a quote-unquote real haunted house yes yeah. And I say, sure, sure, in a sarcastic way, because obviously I don't believe in ghosts. Yep. So, you know, I was being a little bit... But as I was saying that, Jen Wexler had just said something. And it sounds to me like I'm saying, sure, sure, to her. And I just want to make it clear <laughs> that I wasn't. I, I literally was listening to that episode on the drive here. Yeah. And I heard that bit and I did not read it that way. That's because you know me, and mm, you know I don't no, believe in ghosts. No, but I ghosts. also have a very low opinion of you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's certainly true. No, uh, no, no, it doesn't sound like that at all. Okay, it doesn't good. Sound like that at all. Good, no, good. and obviously I also don't in any way believe in ghosts, and was being quite terse with quite a lot of my local crew, <laughs> 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 who were much more credulous than I. But um, but it is a house where some bodies were found. Right, that's cool. Which is innately uh, cool. Creepy, yeah, it's bit, bit creepy. It's it's cool for a horror. Yeah, for a horror film. So yeah, so it's an interesting USP. Um, I'm not recommending that people big, kill people. No, no, no. But do buy properties where people have been killed because they tend to be cheap. <laughs> um, the uh, WWE and UFC wrestler CM Punk. Yep. Uh, Phil Brooks is our lead, mm. and he was absolutely lovely, and I was. I, I don't think he'll be offended by me saying I was surprised at how good he was. Great. Um, like, you know, when you hear that you've got a professional sportsman as your lead in a movie, you, you know that that could go... If they don't have form already, that could go two I ways. Just, I, I do feel like there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of crossover there, Well, there, there often is, but I think that's because of the, the amount of ones, opportunity that is afforded and the to good people ones who are rise, already in the public rise to eye. the top. Yeah, absolutely. But no, he was absolutely great. He's yeah, gone. and I, I, really, I have to say, I've got a lot of respect for um, Travis uh, tweeted out um, the the first sort of look from mm. Entertainment yeah, Weekly. Yeah, yeah. 
and he tagged lots of people. Yeah, Travis Which is, not everybody does. No, and, no he's, and, he's you know, very was, magnanimous about that kind of stuff and he was really nice to work with. So. And there was credit for you in that Entertainment Weekly piece. So yeah, I am very excited to see uh, to see this. Yeah, the, 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 the MPI Queensbury lot were very, very nice and very supportive. Um, and yeah, I think that obviously, you know, these things always come down to the edit and the sound with horror, uh-huh. but the footage looks absolutely gorgeous. The performances were great. The production design was great. The costume was great. Like, I think it, it could be really, really good. Excellent. So I'm very excited about it. Very excited. Cool. All right. Can we finally, finally get on to extra features? Oh, I've got a whole bunch of other stuff. I want. Yeah, of course. <laughs> extra features. <laughs> extra features. Extra features. Right. So last time there was a, a lovely little snippet from my interview with uh, Panos Cosmatos, the director of Mandy. And because we didn't know it was going to be included and actually thought that perhaps it wasn't, I didn't do any of the normal things that you're supposed to do when when you're allowed to to use stuff like this. Um, So what I should have said is that the film is out in the UK on October 29th. Um, It's also playing at the London Film Festival and it did sell out very quickly um, at the Prince Charles Cinema, but they've just put on another week of screenings. Um, By the time you hear this, that might have sold out it's worth having a look um but if not it's coming to home end uh on the 29th who's putting it out it is universal and in fact uh there's a hmv exclusive where it's in vhs packaging in like a chunky box and you get like some the new thing you get the new thing you get some free stuff um and so, yeah, it's, I've pre-ordered that um, because I absolutely loved Mandy. Uh, and so uh, as a special treat, this time and next time, um, we're going to be hearing more from Panos because it was such a great interview. Uh, I feel like it's worth sort of dividing up and, and letting people hear it pretty much in full. And so carrying on from what we talked about last time, we then went straight into talking about the influence of Hellraiser on Mandy. So it is appropriate that it goes in this episode. So, you know, I, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, the stuff from last time. Um, I actually found um, what he said about, you know, his uh, his decade out and all the rest of it. Yeah, I, yeah. I found that all very moving. So, yeah, this, this is uh, Panos talking about Hellraiser. And people have talked about the, um, the, the Hellraiser influence on this. Uh, yeah. People have sort of talked about in those terms. Yeah. Is that an important film for you? The, more so than the... I mean, the film, to a degree, more so the book, uh, The Hellbound Heart, the oh, novella, wow. okay. I think is one of the most powerful pieces of horror writing ever yeah. written. I mean, it's deeply haunting. Um, but yeah, I mean, the film, when it came out... I, I don't know of any other film that held that kind of mythical terror over my soul. Yeah. You know? I, I don't know. Um, Hellraiser really stayed with me and haunted me forever. Yeah. Same. Um, and so when I find... I, and I, I don't know if I'd actually read the book when the movie came out, but when I, I... I know I'd read the books of blood, but maybe not the Hellbound Heart. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he taps into primal feelings of dread and isolation that are just uh, astonishing. And it's still as powerful now yeah. as it ever was. Yeah. It just doesn't age. It's an incredible yeah. film. Yeah. But yeah, I, I know that, I actually know that Clyde Barker has seen Beyond the Black Rainbow and that he really loves it. Oh, it wow. kind of blew my mind because he was such a huge uh, inspiration to me when I was a kid, you know, yeah. and still is. 
But yeah, the, the, the black skulls are kind of a, 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 a little bit of a dot nod to the Cenobites. And so, um, would you ever be interested in directing an adaptation of one of the stories in Books of Blood, potentially? Yeah, I would absolutely like to do a Clive Barker thing, but it, again, it depends on the situation. That's more important. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, yeah, you very much stay in control of, of your work, so I'm, I'm guessing that yeah. a, a big, you know, Marvel or Star Wars, that's not on your radar at all. Probably not. I can't, I can't picture myself uh, thriving in that environment. No. Um, I would... There are a couple of key things that I would be interested in doing, like a remake of. But again, it would have to be under under pretty ideal circumstances. So kind of stuff. Why do I cast? You can't say. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I don't want to jinx it or yeah. you know even add any fuel to that. Wasn't that great? Presumably. I mean, <laughs> I know it was. I know it was. Dan I, hasn't I thought heard the it. last the last trunk was very good. So if this is on the same level, then yes, it, was it really good. is. Like, yeah, literally, yeah. I think you know, I've been doing this for God, uh, maybe twelve years, something like that, and uh, I would put that interview into the top three of experiences I've had. He was nice. just great. Sounds very generous as an interviewee. Oh, he was just amazing, and and also I really like his laugh. Um, yeah, he has a yeah, great he's got laugh. good laugh. So right, uh, that is it for social now. media. Sam. Social media, and also, I would really like it if people would like subscribe, and if they would rate us, and if you know, if made me the happiest you, man on earth, Sam. you know, please, you know, because we're both Dan and I really care about that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Sam, this is quite embarrassing. Could you just leave this? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, what? How can people stay in touch with you, and how can they stay in touch with Fright Night Club? And Thank you, Sam. Uh, yeah, so I'm on Twitter at 13fingerfx. It'll be mostly uh, me talking about the other handle I'm about to mention, but then also some worky bits. And I've got a bunch of films at um, like sort of coming up that I've worked on. Uh, Lords of Chaos is going to be at London Film Festival. Uh, I think In Fabric is at London it Film is, Festival. Yeah, yeah. That but got great reactions out of us. Yeah, it's done really well. It's already been picked up for US distribution now, which yes, is really good. So, incredible. Yeah, really exciting. A24 are doing oh. uh, In Fabric in the States. Of so course they Yeah, it's a good a good pairing. But yeah, so there's some some exciting stuff. And then Await for the Instructions is looking like it's got a US release now as well. Great. Yeah, so there's lots of, lots of fun stuff. But uh, Fright Night Club or Fright Club, which it may be retitled to for reasons I'll go into later, um, is still changing ahead uh jennifer myself and our small but dedicated team are working tirelessly to bring a uh, a very exciting live horror event to london by the time this goes up the tickets will be on uh will be available will be on sale frightnightclub.com or frightnightclub.co.uk i think one directs to the other uh for information or just go to at fright night club on twitter uh and i'm pretty sure the pinned tweet or the bio will have a link in them to the tickets um feel free to shoot us a message or me personally a message if you have any questions about times or availability or suitability or anything like that um, we hope to see you there great all right well uh i think that's about it to yours uh, well i'm at <laughs> sam Ashurst on twitter i'm not tweeting loads at the moment because i've got I'm spinning many plates, but um, should you want to follow someone who doesn't tweet, then by all means follow me. I will retweet stuff every now and again, but, you know, don't expect much from me at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what he's saying is it's not going to cost you anything. He's not going to swamp your timeline, so just do it. Just yeah, do it anyway. I mean, exactly, why not? But yes, thank you so much for listening, and we promise to be more professional next time. We do. 
Bye-bye. Bye.